0: Uh, The more we learn about Scripture, the more we learn about ourselves, we realize that the last 10 minutes provide an opportunity for us to literally change our, our minds. We now know literally that when we meditate upon your love and faithfulness for 10 minutes, our brains literally start changing. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, some of us may say I was drifting that whole time and I missed that. But we still have an opportunity while we're here in this hour dedicated to your leadership, your lordship over our lives to give our souls to you. To even as we listen, it's an act of worship. To say, God, speak to me. As Robert Burns famously said Oh, the gift that you could give me is to see myself as others see me. To see ourselves as you see us. And that's what today's about. So may we have teachable hearts because they're worshiping hearts. Tender, willing to be led, willing to go through the pain of change that we might become transformed. Thank you for the team and their leadership of us this morning and providing this incredibly special moment that we are prone to take for granted. In Jesus we pray, amen, amen. You can have a seat. I ever told you the story of this little guy who grew up in a little town east of Columbus, Ohio? And his neighbor was was an inventive guy named Paul who was very successful. And Paul would go on to have two daughters. The older daughter, he nicknamed her Brownie. And this daughter was, back in the 60s when this guy was growing up, was, was just a joy. And this little guy fell in love with Brownie. And then... In the late 60s, in 1968 to be exact, the second daughter of this guy named Paul came along, and her name was Benny. And um, she was an ugly duckling. At first, she wasn't pretty at all, but by the 80s, she was gorgeous. Now in the 90s, she developed some acne that, you know, who know, who knows You know where this was going. But while he loved both sisters, um, his heart was brownies. Until December 16th, 1995, when like Hosea's wife, Gomer, his dear Brownie left him. For five years, Brownie was gone. And so he gave his heart to Benny. Then in 1999, Brownie came back and he gave his heart again to Brownie. Now, for the last 20 years, Brownie has broken his heart into pieces, but he has stayed faithful to Brownie, and this morning, that little guy is so happy that Benny found her true love named Joe, and now (laughs) they're going to live together for the rest of their lives. Anybody know this story, huh? Anybody know this story? All you Bengals fans out there, so happy, so happy. Oh, uh, so happy. I just thought, well, what, what, can I come up with an allegory to explain? I'm so happy today. I just only wish it were the Browns who had drafted Joe Burrow. Not the Bengals, but if it had to be any better than the Browns, so happy. If you're not a football fan, that allegory just went whoosh right over your head. And we are sorry and wonder why you live in Ohio. Um, but we are glad you're here with us today. Part three of a series we're doing called Marriage is a Numbers Game, and if you haven't been with us, the information the Enneagram provides can be a catalyst to the transformation that the gospel of Christ provides. And today, we're going to do part two of some role-playing. These are role-plays that if I were, or a counselor, were sitting down with a couple having a disagreement, here's how we would play it out. We'd say, we're going to role-play this out, how this dialogue goes. And today, you're going to get to watch as Levi and Katie play a couple, and Levi is going to play a three, and Katie's going to play a nine, okay? And this is really important because this is, A, a very common pairing. It's not an uncommon pairing. It's one of the most common pairings. Threes are achievers. They want to win at everything. They tend to be very assertive in conflict and dialogue. Nines are peacemakers. They tend to be non-assertive in conflict. They shut their energy down. And we have a scenario this morning where... uh, What's your name again? Joe and Carrie are coming home from a youth football game. We'll say it was at Valley View. Okay, we'll just say that. And uh, you're coming home, and... uh, you guys said, so Levi, you and Katie said that this dialogue is a little trickier. Why? So you first, Levi. Why is today's dialogue a little trickier mm. for Joe and Carrie than it is, was for Morgan and Tom?
1: Yeah. I, I think what is at odds is the, the parenting style. That's, uh-huh. I mean, it, it's not even uh, about some, like something like an object, like how you use money. But it's about how you are... Influencing or not influencing your yeah, kids. So
0: money and parenting. Yeah. And sex. Next week's sex. So you don't want to not tune in next week. We look at that. The three big. That's the three points of conflict. Yeah. But you said so. You're a one by nature. Levi uh-huh. Crowley is. You also said this is easier for you today. To, yeah, to it's do. easier
1: for me to play this part because, as an Enneagram one, the, seeking the justice. Like I really desire the assertive. Figure out the problem mm-hmm. and let's let's hit it head on. Yeah. Confrontation, you know, let's let's work it out. I don't want to ignore
0: it. Yeah. So it's easy for me to portray a personality that's let's go. Yeah. So Katie, for you, uh, you're uh, an Enneagram eight mm-hmm. by nature. So you would tend to be by nature more sort of how difficult is this for you to role play a nine who absorbs the pain in the relationship? Again, the big difference here is threes assert their energy mm-hmm. in a dialogue. Nines de- decrease their energy in a dialogue, especially when a conflict. How difficult is this for you to play this?
2: So at first, my gut instinct, as you were just saying, is to externalize that pressure. And you can ask my poor sweet husband that um, that is something I'm very good at. So this was a, this was a challenge for me. And I... Um, took some time to really process that and internalize that of how would, how would I want to feel. And it also helped me um, in looking at the type nine and that they really do want to internalize and not necessarily to internalize and bottle, bottle it all in, but internalize it and push it away, Yeah, like almost roll down the car window yeah. as we're doing this role play and just get it out yeah. so that there can be peace. Internally first, mm-hmm. so that was one of the biggest things. That with the nine, they want that internally.
0: Yeah, we're really interesting thing. The three wants to get it over with quick, just to get it over with and mm-hmm. move on to the next win. Mm-hmm. And you just described why the nine wants to get it over with. So the tendency in this pairing is to not really deal with conflict. Yeah. Um, now your your ambition has led you to a point where you you drive a Tesla. Yeah. Because, as you'll see in this, it's a no self-driving hands. car. He doesn't have a steering wheel. No yeah. Okay? Yeah. So uh, I still have
2: to roll down the window, though. That's true. <laughs> that is
0: true. Yeah. You could have gotten So me up let's hear it. Let's give it up for Joe and Carrie, as they're going to show us. Okay? Uh, a dual, a dual roll here. So let's give it up for these right, guys for right. doing this today.
1: <laughs> what a day. I was so sure he was going to pull our team through this time. He's got so much talent, but his competitive spirit, he's got no grit, and unless he can just put his heart into the game and play like he really cares, I don't, he'll never get to play at a collegiate level. No one's going to recruit him.
2: Joe, Joe, Ethan's sitting right in the back of the car. You know, he could hear you.
1: Honestly, I kind of hope he does.
2: Joe, you don't mean
1: that. Yeah, I do. It's embarrassing, Kerry. He's got so much potential. And he's wasting. I would have given anything to have his height, to have his speed, when I was playing. <laughs> All he cares about is what's going on in those stupid earphones. Sometimes I think to myself, what's wrong with him? He is not the kid I raised.
2: Oh, Joe, he's struggling. You know, I've tried to tell you he's depressed. Remember, Dr. Miller diagnosed him with generalized anxiety and depression. She even recommended medication.
1: He doesn't need medication. At all. He needs, he needs us to be harder on him, tougher. He's so fragile. How did I raise such a sensitive kid? And you know what, I think I think you're enabling him.
2: I mean, I'm sure I, I do a little bit, but, you know, I'm just so worried about him. I don't know if he's okay. I try and make his favorite foods. He doesn't want to eat. I try and give him vitamins, even the gummy Flintstone ones. <laughs> Flushes them down the toilet. I invite his friends over. He's just bored. Shoot, I don't even know if he sleeps anymore. What does he do all night? Can
1: you try and understand? understand. You know, if he was raised by my parents, he would have to hustle so hard just for a crumb of their attention. He's lazy. He's spoiled. He needs to learn how to work. When I was his age, I was working at a gas station, helping raise my kid sister, getting straight A's, and taking my football team to state. His problem is he has no responsibility and he's a product of this 21st century soft suburban lifestyle. He's entitled. I don't have any sympathy for him.
2: I, I know, I know it's frustrating. Maybe if you tried to talk to him and just really listen and you know, I think he really feels like he's just letting you down. He
1: doesn't care about letting me down. Last week he told me to F off. He doesn't care what I think.
2: Oh no, 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 I'm sorry. That's that's not that's not what I was saying. I'm just I'm just so worried about the kids, especially Ethan. Joe, I just feel like we're losing him.
1: Oh, so I'm the problem with the family. Is that what you're saying? Uh,
2: I, you know, Joe, I think I think we should get a little space when we get home. You know, maybe just
1: what you, we're supposed time. to go on a date tonight.
2: I, I'm just so tired. I think I need some time at home. you know. And I really don't want to leave Ethan tonight. I, I don't feel like he's in a good place. Okay. You, know, you know what you could do? This might be fun. Maybe you could ask Mark. Um, you guys could grab a beer, watch the game, cool off a little bit. How about that?
1: So that's what you'll do. You know what? I feel like I don't have a true teammate. In this situation, our kid is going to lose every opportunity. And you think that it's all my fault. When really, I've just watched you baby him from the day that he was born. And what he needs is a mom who's going to back off a little and let him fight his own battles. Joe, please, let's
2: just let just give it some time. You know, we're saying a lot of things. You may regret some of it later. It's been a really long day.
1: You just aren't in it with me. You aren't my partner. What I need most is for you to have my back and to press in when things are tough and all you care about are the kids Need my help. <laughs> it hurts me, Carrie.
2: Joe, I don't want to hurt you. You've said a lot of really hard things today.
1: Hard things. What well, could be more hurtful than looking forward all week to a date with my wife and then she backs out because she
2: needs a nap? Joe, I I really think we just need some space. Maybe let's let's do this tomorrow. You know, it'll be better. Can I just have
1: I want my partner, I want my friend to show up and work with me. You feel like you're losing your son. I feel like I'm losing my wife and my son.
0: Okay, so let's stop here because we're going to rewind it in a second. First of all, I want you to notice how much better Levi has gotten at being a jerk, <laughs> a total jerk. And like, in one week, the level it. of jerkometer yeah. went way up and to the right. <laughs> I mean, wow.
2: Everything you, in me wants to yeah. pull this car over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: <laughs> um, so interesting thing, too, is you can feel the hurt that she is absorbing, can't you? So it's not that the nine doesn't get ticked off. She's getting angry. Mm. But nines hide it. They, 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 they dissipate their energy while the three is accelerating mm-hmm. their energy. And you could just feel the amperage going up uh, in that dialogue, and it went off the rails. So this is, mm-hmm. this is the beginning of bitterness Getting a root in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's where we'll see today. Don't let the bitter root grow up. It'll defile many. So it's a poisonous Mm -hmm. plant. And so these are the conversations that, yes, the ring isn't being thrown across the room. But -hmm. the root of bitterness is being embedded into the soil. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind it. And I want you guys to notice where this dialogue between a three and a nine could have stayed on track. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you guys lead us. (sighs)
1: What a day. I was so sure he was gonna pull his team through on that one. He's just lacking that competitive edge. So much talent, but no grit. And If he doesn't step up and start playing with his heart, there's no way he's gonna get on the collegiate level. No one's gonna recruit him, I'm serious.
2: Joe, keep your voice down. Ethan can hear you, he's right in the back seat
1: kind of hope he does.
2: Oh, Joe, you don't mean that.
1: Yeah, I do. It's embarrassing. He has so much potential, but he's wasting his talent. I would have given anything to have his height and his speed when I was playing. All he cares about, all he cares about is what's going on in the stupid headphones. What's wrong with him? Sometimes I ask myself, how did I raise this kid to be like this?
2: Joe, he's struggling. You know, I've, I've tried to tell you, he's, he's depressed. You know, you remember what Dr. Miller said? You know, he, he, he's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety and depression, but he may even need medication at one point. He doesn't
1: point. need medication.
2: All right, Joe. Joe, I hear you. And, and I'm just overwhelmed. I hear that you're, you're really worried about our son's potential opportunities and those things that could be passing him by. And that is a concern. I just want you to know that I'm really worried about our son. You know, I'm, I'm scared that he's becoming really unhealthy.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I, it's hard for me to know the difference between what I want for him and, and what he wants for himself, I, I don't know. I, I hear that you're overwhelmed. Uh, maybe it's, it's just bigger than a one-time conversation. We need help.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. I would, I would like to go and, and try and find help that we can <laughs> do together to help Ethan and Ava.
0: There you go. And it's not, that's not, oh, fluffy by and by. There are those moments in a dialogue where it can become more sparring or I hear you, Mm -hmm. I see you. Mm -hmm. Levi, Katie, by the way, what do we have coming up February 1st? That could be a help to parents who are having this dialogue. <laughs> Katie, you go. Introduce what's coming up February 1st that is going to be on the screens here, just a second. That is, uh, if you have not signed up as a parent for this yet or as a student, what is? tell us what's happening February 1st.
2: I am so excited. We are offering our February session of Players' Box. Whoa. There we go. you <laughs> So are you telling students, me, are you telling me this,
0: this scenario had a double meaning to it?
2: I mean, I even wore the right t-shirt <laughs> no, today. Right.
0: So if, and I know of three families in our church who are having this discussion this weekend, mm-hmm. who have had this discussion, mm-hmm. that means there are 30 that have had this kind of basic dialogue and disagreement. So, what can they do? What can they do to, to uh, get involved February 1st? Great.
2: So, so um, all you have to do is go to playersbox.org or southbrook.org. Click on the register link. You can go ahead and register for your student. And it will be Tuesday. Register for your student and yourself. Um, open to middle school and high school students as well as their parents. Um, you will meet with us on Tuesdays from 6.30 to 8, right here at Southbrook, and we would love to have you.
0: Good. Levi,
2: what's happening this Friday night?
0: Ooh. That also, this is a great advertisement for what's happening Friday night in this yeah. room. Tell us.
1: Marriage Enneagram
0: help. So, yeah. a little workshop. January 28, 6 to 9, 10 bucks, pizza included, and salad, okay? Mm-hmm. Salad is free. Pizza's 10 bucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you, guys. I mean, I, I just, I know that, that uh, this is all too real. It's all too real. We don't have houses bugged. We just know how reality happens, especially in these common scenarios. So, again, I, I told these guys this morning, I said, guys, you, you, this is not part of their job to do this. They, they just are second-mile people. So would you, on my behalf, thank them for putting themselves out there like this. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, as as, uh, many of you know, uh, I'm a three, and Sherry, my wife, is a nine. So this one really got personal. And one of the interesting things about being married for 36 years to a nine is I feel like I've been cheating, because she's not just an unhealthy nine, she's a healthy nine. She's a mature nine. And so what I compare it to a three being married to a nine, and the best thing in our life for 36 years has been our marriage, there's no doubt. When all hell was breaking loose around us, we've had each other. Uh, Adversity, thankfully, has actually brought us closer together, et cetera. We know that's not always the case. But uh, one time, Michael Jordan scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers, and a, a reserve guard on that team named Steve Kerr scored two points that night. And when Steve Kerr got to the end of his career, 17-year career, somebody asked him, what were one of the highlights of your career? And he said, oh, wow, easy. The night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 71 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. (laughs) That's what it's like to be married to a nine, okay? So when I say that, it is she's absorbed a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of my ambitiousness and my drivenness, my assertiveness in dialogue. And we've had to learn some ways to navigate that. And I cannot tell you enough why the Enneagram has been helpful to us. is because it's provided the information to help me see myself as she sees me. As she sees me. Because I would have been totally oblivious to my effect on other people, but particularly her if it were not, for some truth-tellers, but also tools like the Enneagram. So before we close, I want to give you some, some triage. Okay, So if this today is going to elicit some dialogue with you and your significant other, one of the things we want to do is just give you some real initial helpful hints, some boundary lines to stay in if this opens up conversation. Okay, so this is not meant to be a a full-scale treatment. I'm actually going to dive into this even more next weekend as we close the series. But this is just an initial treatment of conflict. Now, there are basically uh, two reasons that that people get into conflict. One is the numbers just don't add up. The selves don't add up. Some number combinations need extra grace required okay? Some need extra grace required. And what really gets exacerbated in those number clashes are two realities. One is the ego, the self. Remember last week, James 4, 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. So we have these desires that are really not understood. We have these empty parts of us that we're trying to fill. And James says earlier in James 3 16, where you have envy, I want more. And selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So one of the things, the the killer of all relationships, and particularly marriage, is unspoken desires that lead to unspoken expectations. That's the killer. and Because it really brings in the ego, the sense of self. I need taken care of, and I'm not being taken care of. Last week we dealt with that a little bit. Next week we'll deal with it even more. But the second one that you need to know is this, and that is the enemy. Satan. Remember this, remember this, remember this. If you're in conflict right now, Ephesians 6:12 for our struggle is not against our spouse. It's not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Remember that. There is an adversary, there is an enemy that has a very simple strategy. The father is about oneness, that's all he's all about throughout the world. And the two will become one flesh. The enemy is all about division. He's all about taking the two and dividing them asunder. And so remember that. Now, when that happens between types, there are basically four approaches that we talk about that certain types divert to when there's conflict. One type is the Mr. Freeze approach. And that is, I'm just going to freeze out the conversation. I'm going to freeze out my spouse. And so there becomes this chill in the air all the time because why my numbers type in an unhealthy mode of dealing with conflict is to just freeze it out. Just act like it doesn't happen. Act like it's not there. Get cool and detached. Another Approach The second approach that is common with the types is the punisher approach. And that is I get really assertive. This is particularly true about the three and the eight. Even the one can get very, very assertive and they let the the sarcastic bullets fly. They let the put-downs, the criticisms, the shouting, the irrationality, the ventilation of feelings fly. And they're like that character, the punisher, that just boom, 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 gets the gun out. A third approach that numbers have is the invisible girl approach, the Sue Storm approach. Let me out of here. Let me disappear. And this is one that nines are really prone to, is let me just disappear in this scenario and and ignore that this reality's happened. And then, of course, there's a fourth approach that is really unhealthy, and that is the Incredible Hulk approach, number four, and that is the approach that we really almost and sometimes tragically to a point of violence, we amp up the aggression. Uh, Those of us who are threes and eights in particular are, we're going to win. We're going to assert our control over the situation. Now, this Friday, Randy and the team will unpack the the approaches that people tend to have when it comes to conflict. But you need to to be aware of yourself on that. Now, What's, what, what, are, what are the five buoys that keep us off the rocks? When the waters get kind of scary and we're prone to hit the rocks, what are five buoys that keep us off the rocks? Here are five, and you need to apply these immediately if you are in conflict. If today elicited in you, I want to have a talk, right? It's the worst words a husband can hear from his wife. Can we talk later? That's the worst words a, a husband can hear from his wife. Well, today might have elicited that. And the first one, these are all from Ephesians chapter 4, the first one is honesty. And there is a great responsibility with honesty. Honesty doesn't mean, as we'll see in a moment, just I'm going to be brutally honest with you. But it is a commitment to accuracy. Being accurate. Say what you mean and mean what you say as accurately as possible. Ephesians 4 verse 25 the apostle paul says each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body david augsberger in his book caring enough to confront said i love you and since i love you i must tell you the truth i want your love but i also want the truth please love me enough to tell me the truth now again Hear that in light of the balance I'm going to give you in a second. But many, many, many of us go down into some of these approaches that are unhealthy because we don't know how to speak the truth in love. We, don't, we need to learn it. The second word is the word control. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is not a sin. Anger is a a sign that something in me has been wounded. My identity, my worth has been attacked. And so it is just like our pain mechanism is physically, anger is our emotional mechanism that says something's wrong. In that, don't sin. And so Paul is calling us right there to self-control. James 1.20, human anger The typical way that human beings express anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. Just remember that. The typical human way of expressing anger is out of self. And Jesus, when he expressed anger, was for others. And it's just a different motivation. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. So control is critical. And if you grew up in a situation where ventilation was the way you handled your emotion, you probably haven't developed good self-control. Your brain is wired to go off and flood. And you got to relearn that. You're going to need help. Number three is the word timing. Notice verse 26 and 27. In your anger do not sin, And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. What would have happened in this scenario in the first part was it could have easily allowed the sun go down and anger was still simmering. Carrie did a much better job in the rewind of that scenario of saying, here's how I feel. I'm overwhelmed in this moment. And so notice the timing here, the balance. Don't suppress it for a long period of time. That doesn't mean literally we have to talk about it before the sun goes down. It's a representation of be sensitive to timing. When you come home from work and both of you are tired, that's probably not a good time to have an honest dialogue. Probably not, is it? And the kids are screaming and things are going haywire. That's probably not a good time. Be sensitive to timing. Number four is sensitivity. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, there's a good one to start on right there. Because you'll be amazed at how the Holy Spirit in conflict will bring Ephesians 4:29 to your mind and to your soul if you've committed it to memory. Stay wholesome here. Be sensitive in your talk. Even under the pressure of confrontation, you make sure you use speech in word and tone that builds up your partner and is sensitive to their needs. And that's why I loved that, look what happened, that Carrie gave a repairing statement. What was it? I feel overwhelmed. I'm wanting to repair this. And what happened as a result of that? Joe Reciprocated that repairing statement with wholesome talk. Okay, what I'm hearing you say is, and that's Ephesians 4:29 in action, being wholesome, being sensitive. I feel frustrated. I I hear you saying that. You ever, you know, you ever have a dog in your neighborhood that nobody likes? And, and bugs everyone. But have you ever noticed with dogs that if you say nasty things to them but in a sweet tone, they'll just wag their tail. They'll just wag their tail. I mean, you can say, you're the ugliest dog I've ever seen. And they'll wag their tail. Now, your spouse is not a dog. But <laughs> tone matters so much, doesn't it? It's not just content. It's your conduct. It's not just your position that you're expressing, but your disposition as you're expressing it. And it's a skill that has to be learned. Number five is forgiveness. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Think about that. When we harbor bitterness and resentment, it grieves the Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And come back next weekend as we unpack really that section right there. What Christ gives that is the most fundamental, essential characteristic of healthy marriages is what Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 tell us. Now here's what I want us to do in the remainder of our time. Get real quiet right now and get your soul ready to interact with Christ. If if you have received him, we want to invite you to take communion today. We want to invite you to just participate in this physical act that says Christ is in me and I am in him. That just as your body becomes one with the bread and the juice, that today you reaffirm that oneness because Christ gives a peace inside that usually leads to peace on the outside. And to set us up for that, we're going to hear the remaining dialogue that I had with Jim Zartman one of the founders of the Art of Growth, a consultant, but a specialist who happens to lead the most listened to podcast on the Enneagram in the world, the Art of Growth. And we want you to just allow your soul to settle into this for a few minutes. And then Jim is going to lead us with a reading and a prayer into communion. And um, I just think he's a tremendous communicator. Uh, Listen with an open, teachable soul as Jim talks about how some of these types have a harder time meshing and becoming one and extra grace is required. So for you, what are the ones, top three or four
3: numbers matches yeah. that are, feel sometimes like they're more from hell than they are from heaven? <laughs> so I don't think of a particular number as, but there are combinations that require a greater amount of health to thrive um they tend to they tend to struggle with that a little bit more but you you often see this across like the triad so you have the heart triad like i am what i feel you have the head triad i am what i think i'm in my head a lot and you have the body triad i am what i do and for some people like you're so focused on what you do but you're just you're just missing people you're missing the like the whole reason we're here of connection right So it's a little extra grace required when you're having that kind of thing. And the person who I wanna do, I'm a body type, I just wanna go and achieve and do, it's about what I do. And the head type is like, but we have to understand it, we have to think through this, we have to process it. And the person where you have a lot of extra grace required, the person who wants to go is like, you're slowing us down. Why are you asking so many questions? Why are you using so many words? You're exhausting me with so many words. And the other person's like, you're exhausting me with so many feelings. And the other person's like, you're exhausting me with all you wanna just push and do, and I need to pull back and think and understand this. Yeah. Are we hitting right now? So you
0: are, and I, I tell you, for me, for Sherry, fortunately, the three is the most balanced. <laughs> <laughs> What's the hope here, Jim? I mean, you have you couples who are sitting listening to this today in Southbrook's building and in their pajamas across kitchens all over the place in
3: pain, in pain. But there's hope, right? There's hope. Oh, there's so much hope. You know, I grew up in the church world and I remember hearing from pastors early on, you know, marriage isn't supposed to make you happy, it's to make you holy. And it's one of those things that sounds so uh, religious. it, it kind of, you feel obligated to believe it, but after a while, it's like, I just don't think that's true.
0: Well, I think a lot of people then go, uh, then I'd rather be happy than holy, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's what right. it is, like, this, the, the holy holy sucks. <laughs> I don't want holy. I love yeah, I mean, I think it's what people do. I just, I'd just rather be
3: happy then. I'll let God do with the holy part, but I'm, yeah, and I think, because eventually, we're not gonna be able to, like, that's like trying to hold and strain a muscle. Like, eventually, it's just like, I, I, I can't let go. You know, that's too much try. My hope, honestly, is that people's relationships are a wonder and a joy. It's supposed to be a joy. When I talk about what my the role that my wife plays in my life now, it does bring me to tears because the wisdom that she exhibits, the, the honor that she brings to our home, the, the love and the care that she gives that we've learned to develop over the 18 years we've been together. It just moves me because it is a wonder to me. I am in awe of it. When you actually see the other person, you can be in awe of them again of what you felt at the beginning. At the beginning, you had a sense, like this person is something I'm not. They have these gifts I don't. And so you are kind of in awe at the beginning, right? And then the familiarity, we lose that awe. And you need to become more like me as we run into all these stressful situations. But I'm like, zoom out, go deeper again. There is more wonder and there is more awe. That person is way more fascinating than you ever thought they were at the beginning. Well, I'd heard this years
0: ago and that you're gonna reach a stage if you keep working and growing that you'll say, I, I would take this over the fluffy romantic days of early on. And it's absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. You know, she's a gift because she's different. And I, and I don't yeah. say that out of us. I say that out of Christ grows that. He, it's, it's substantial, isn't it?
3: Oh, it's absolutely. But you have to be willing to see that person. Like what you just said proves to me you see her you don't see her as you'd like her to be, you see her as she is. That is the movement of health, and that's what I think so much the Enneagram has, has done for me, like I told the story at the beginning, and with what I see with so many different couples is they understand, oh, this is the gift that you have? This is the way that if I can, I always talk about hacking your type, hacking your partner's type. This is how I can hack your type so I can help bring out the best in you. And then there's this like game I get to play where I get to try and figure out like, ooh, how do I help you in this regard? Because it's wonderful, because you are you are a wonder and you've forgotten it too, which is why I really warn people not to spend so much time on the shadow side of the Enneagram. Look at the gifts. You, you think this is the true you, this negative side? Zoom out, buddy. I hope people really hear that because I know I made that mistake early on. I did. I focused
0: on the corrective, shame, uh, very shame-based system I grew up in.
3: So I grow to that. A lot of my threeness came out of trying to prove my worth. I want to warn anyone who's in the church. You are more susceptible to that than those outside. There is a lot of this shame-based culture that I think the church is starting to wake up to and go like, this is not the solution. Because shame is so sneaky. It gives the illusion of moral advancement without any of its benefits. So it tells you if you feel bad enough, you'll change, but we don't. We change when we pursue our light the light of Christ that is in us, as we say, like that is the truest part of you. The truest part of you is that you are the part of the body of Christ. The truest part of you is that you are a holy creation, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is the truest part of you. Everything else is what has been interrupted, it's been added on. It is not that you're going to the core and you're gonna find what is wrong. You go to the core and you're gonna find what has been beautiful and holy at the center of you. And if you get to the truest and, and deepest part of your partner, that's what you find in them as well.
0: Tell me this, like for me, I see this in my, is the journey of pain is worth the experience of love. It seeks worth, and I'm not just talking about love between a spouse, but also the love of Christ. You grow in love. You, you yeah. learn to love
3: better because you yeah. have a fuel that you didn't have. And it's interesting, we really want to love the other, but it's impossible to fully love the other when we're constantly shaming ourselves. Whenever you hear someone really speaking harshly to another, I just go, oh my God, how does that person speak to themselves? This is something that is, you know, outside of the Enneagram, I think one of the reasons we were able to go as a couple to this is because we had a couple rules when we got married just to build the foundation of honor. So there was two major things is um, we had heard a, a, a pastor and a therapist meeting with a couple who said he sat down with his couple and the man and the woman said I just wish he would treat me like a Denny's waitress. He's so kind to Denny's waitresses. And this idea that we would treat someone as stranger with more common courtesy, respect, and honor than we would the person we share a life and a home with. For us, we were like, no. We are going to have that baseline of, of courtesy in our interactions. We're not gonna raise our voice to each other. We're not gonna like be harsh to each other because we know that is gonna shut us down. And it's not like it's never happened. We've been married for 16 years and we've been d- together 18. Um, but we, we, we see the other person shut down we go, oh, I don't want that. I don't want this person to shut down. And the other main rule that we had is if we are having a conflict, we make physical contact. So anytime we had to have any kind of a conflict together, we would make sure that we were touching either hands, arm around each other, hug, some kind of physical contact because it breaks down the defensive mechanisms. You're less argumentative if you're in physical contact. And so those kinds of things, I think set some of the foundation to where we could like see each other's type and honor that a bit more.
0: Where can someone go to get more help? Where's, where's the step from this? Because I would recommend that some people go running to those,
3: not jogging. We started out as a podcast and we put these panels together. So we'd have you know, several people of the same type and we'd put them in a room and ask them what it's like to be them. Because ultimately, the Enneagram is based on self-reporting. Who do you say you are? Because we don't want to put anyone in a box. We only want people to reveal the box they're already in to help them get out. But if you just look up Art of Growth, you're going to find the podcast. It's one of the top Enneagram podcasts out there. And you have all of these panels where you can actually learn and hear from people who are like you, and that will normalize you. It actually gives you less shame. It gives you more empathy for yourself and for the other. How many times people have written us and being like, I'm, I have so much more love for my spouse after hearing those other people talk about what it's like to be them and their type. And you can reach out to us for, for coaching or anything else. So there is, there's a lot of resources there. And of course we have like, we're in our sixth season of the podcast. So there's so much resources there. But the one thing I would, rec- I would really warn against is um, information is not transformation. Because you know something doesn't mean jack until you can embody it, you really can get it in your soul and in your practice. So you're gonna have to go through, understand the information, and then you're know, hopefully getting inspired by it and seeing what's possible for you. Then transformation can finally happen. That journey is what we want. And that's what I want for every single person who's in the series. Like, y'all be a part of this church. Like, be involved with the community. Like that's gonna do wonders for your relationship. Being involved with something that is beyond you. I think that's really important too. Today, Jim, you just spoke into us. What's the sermon in a sentence? I think I, the thing I found myself coming back to to reinforce today is simply this thing of, um, this person is not like you and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm, that's good. You know. There uh, the best of you is permanent and the worst is temporary. So this is what I would want this is what I would want to leave you with. So if you would, my friends, take a breath and remind yourself that you are here. I pray that you would hear this as a prayer and that you would know that this is the deepest part and the truest thing for the relationship around you. You've heard it said, love is blind. But truly, I tell you, true love is never blind. True love is the widest gaze. To be truly loved is to be fully seen. Love's eyes are wide from seeing a perpetual unknowable mystery in the wondrous other. Love exalts the most praiseworthy aspects of the other and is a shelter for the wounds and weakness of the other. True love has a clarity to its excitement and a stability to its thrill as it rearranges the world of what has been. Its maturity reawakens the vibrancy of youth It is the holiest kind of naive optimism. True love is of divine origin. Therefore, it must reflect the ever expanding experience of the intimately mysterious. Grace and growth, my friends.